Well, good morning. My name is Matt, one of the pastors at City Reform. We welcome our young people to go to Children's Church. They'll be learning about how to uh, re-enter worship and engage more fully in what we're doing. Uh, next week, we'll be starting a, a new sermon series in the book of Second Peter. This week is an in-between week, and uh, we'll do something we often do this time of year, which is to intentionally think about a very important theme in the life of our church. We might do different themes. Uh, as uh, our fourth and fifth grade Sunday school teacher, uh, Rachel Leuenberger, often says, our goal is to make sure the main thing stays the main thing. And so there are important themes in, in the Christian faith that we return to regularly uh, every year. Uh, often as we move to Christmas, Christians think about incarnation, really big deal. Uh, around Easter, crucifixion, resurrection, of, of course these themes are always there, they're central to our faith, but sometimes we just have to talk about the obvious thing. Uh, as we think about a, a time in, in the life of our church where new people are coming and old people are returning, we intentionally try to pause and think of themes that are really important for our church. And, to, and as today, and actually the last two weeks, we've had opportunity to do this as well. Um, uh, we're thinking about some really central stuff. Today we'll be thinking about what is our mission as a church? What are we called to do? Uh, as you might imagine, uh, if we don't keep reminding ourselves, we could easily drift into other ideas. So we want to pause today to remember uh, as we read uh, this uh, really powerful passage from 2 Corinthians, uh, we'll be thinking, what is our mission? What is God calling us to do as his people, as his congregation here in this place? I'll read uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 5 to 15, and together we'll affirm this is God's word. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus Will, all, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. 
quick summary of this passage. Uh, Paul shows us that we are a people who have a message. We have been called to speak. We, through our words, proclaim Jesus and make known through Jesus the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. But the Apostle Paul tells us that this ministry is often characterized by difficulty. He speaks of being a jar of clay containing treasure. And he describes his experience of ministry. And he uses the plural in verses 8 and following as being one that is characterized by affliction. It's a measured and limited difficulty, but the process of ministry is hard. The overall theme, and the theme that we really want to draw out of the passage, is that the Apostle Paul makes this connection. He says that the suffering that we experience in ministry is used by God for the good of others. God uses the difficulties of ministry that we experience as the means through which Look at the final verse here, verse 15. Grace extends to more and more people. Paul's saying through, through the difficulties that we experience in ministry, the knowledge of God and the grace of God is extending to more and more people. Ministry is hard, but it is in, through that hardness that God is using ordinary people like me and you, jars of clay, to bring others into that glory. Here's, here's why this is uh, so important for us to think about and remember as a church. Uh, the, the temptation and tendency of any group of Christians is to lose sight of their mission and begin to focus on their own needs. It's a very easy and natural thing to do. Um, and over, over time, we can begin to think more and more about what we need and less and less about other people in particular, if you think about what's going on here in, in verse 15, Paul says he wants grace extend to more and more people. But the people that this grace is going to extend to probably aren't yet visible to the Corinthians. In other words, Paul's saying to this group of people, I want you to prioritize the spiritual good of people that you don't know yet. That, it, that takes a certain amount of uh, conceptualization. It's easier to think about people you do know. It's easier to be aware of your own needs. And we have uh, particular needs that are real. We want to be honest about them. The Apostle Paul here is laying out a vision for ministry in which people embrace this call to see grace extended to people they don't know yet. Uh, this was a part of a conversation uh, we've been having recently in, in our uh, community group. Uh, it's very important in our church. We have groups that meet during the, during the week. People share life together. They gather together, listening to God's word, talking to each other, praying for each other. Uh, and uh, our, recently, over the last half a year, um, our group has recognized we need to split in two. Uh, we, we prefer to say multiplying. Uh, sounds better, um, but it's been a sort of a painful process. It's taken us a while to get to this point because moving into two groups, splitting, uh, means that some people that we see every week that we care about, we will not see going forward. That's a hard reality. I was, uh, we were talking about it just this past week as I was reading this passage, and I, some of you who are connected to our community group may have received an email from me the other night reflecting on this verse, 
And, and I was just making the comment that essentially what we're doing is we're experiencing a, a sort of short-term pain as we split into two and say goodbye to some people we care about, not forever, but you know, just for the week, um, with the hope that we could invite someone we don't now know into the, one of these two new groups, right? When you think about the challenge that's implicit in that, you are experiencing a, a loss you know for a, a joy, a new relationship, a, what Paul calls grace extending to more and more people, and you don't yet know that or see it, right? That's a, it's a kind of a hard exchange to make. And I would suggest, as we think about the reality of church, we're always stuck in those kind of hard exchanges. We're asking the question, will we continue to prioritize grace extending to more and more people, even when it's hard, even when it's costly, even when it means giving up something I know, so that grace can go to a person I don't know? We, uh, in our time of prayer each week, are, are often praying for uh, missionaries, Christians who've gone out in the world across cultural barriers trying to help build the church in other parts of the world. And it's one of the greatest exercises in doing this because someone who leaves their home and their context is going to people they don't know yet. It's actually a pretty hard thing to do. You give up a lot for the hope of ministry that you haven't yet experienced or seen. People you don't yet know, you want grace to go to them, and yet you don't see them yet, you don't know them. It's all a theoretical future reality. That's the heart of our challenge, and that's why we pause here to, to think about it as a church. As we look at this passage, I already outlined it for you. Let's just we'll go back and look at it a little more closely. We'll, we'll see some of these themes in greater detail, and hopefully it'll give us fuel and encouragement to continue to look outward to think about how we prioritize extending grace to people we don't know yet. These are, these are the things that, that I see in the passage, trying to uh, mark how we'd move this discussion. And, and first of all, we'll just remind ourselves of this call Christians have to make Christ known. Right? That's dri what, what drives us outward, Jesus said, go do this. He's our, our Savior and our Lord. It's part of our, our primary call. And secondly, and we'll spend the most time here, we'll just dig into this middle paragraph where we see this contrast of jars of clay and glory, where the Apostle Paul shows us that the life of a minister of Jesus, a life of any Christian who's making Jesus known, is marked by the glory and the suffering of Jesus. That's the, that's the container in which the message goes. And third and finally, we'll see this great exchange where God uses difficulty in our life to bring glory and blessing to others. So those are the, again, we've summarized that those are the three things we'll look at in more detail. Uh, first of all, uh, this idea that, that uh, we are called to proclaim, it, that's what we said right in the beginning, right? Paul says, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul says this is who we are as a people. He's speaking of himself as an apostle and as an apostolic group. But at this section of the book of Corinthians, I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul is inviting the Corinthians in to see themselves in that position 
When he says, who are you? He says, you, you are people who have come to know God. You are people who've seen the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you are making him known to others. We do this in a large part with words. It's a big way that this is Jesus is made known. Pretty remarkable thing that God would do that. But he chooses to use the words of ordinary people like me and you to make his glory known. The emphasis on speaking is found later in the passage. When you look down at verse 13, we see this, this uh, again, repetition where Paul is quoting a, a verse. And then he says, uh, so also we believe and we also speak. There's this movement of believing in Jesus and speaking and making him known to others. The glory of Christ is made known in the world through ordinary humans like me and you who speak of him and relay the message of the scriptures to other people. We, we do this. This is essentially what we are called to do as a church. All right? And this is the secret. You may know this. That's what's happening right now. Right? That's, that's actually what's happening in this very moment. And so we, we participate as a church in lots of ways. One of them is we invite people to come to church where someone will proclaim Christ. We invite them to our, our community group where we'll read the word and share it together. Or, or we, we simply tell people about how Jesus has worked in our lives and invite them to read the scriptures with us. It's, it's not as hard as it first seems, but it's primarily what we're called to do. We are called to use our words to make Jesus known. Now, the process is a little more difficult than that. Uh, that we'll, we'll see as, as, the, as the passage goes on. But it, at the end of the day, when we keep the main thing the main thing, we remind ourselves as a church, this is what Jesus has called us to do. All, all other things can fall under that. Right? If we're going to make Jesus known, we also want to see people grow in faith and learn how to honor Jesus in every part of their life. We care about discipleship and work and helping our children grow in their faith. All of these things are together, but they really fall under this major heading. We proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus. That's, that's what we're here to do. Right? We're not here to you know, raise the flag for uh, our particular uh, congregation or denomination. We, we may love those things and be thankful for them. But what we're doing is we're raising the flag for Jesus. That's who we want to proclaim. Everything else is a distraction. Now, like I said, it gets a little more complicated, but that's the root of it. Right? We sometimes want to... Return to the main thing. So here, here's how it gets complicated. Paul says that we who know Jesus and are proclaiming Jesus will not only speak of him, but we're united to him by faith. And our life increasingly looks like the life of Jesus as we do ministry. All right, we, we see that in the passage. He's, he, says, he, he says we have uh, suffering and joy. But the way he describes it, he says, what we have in our life when we're suffering is actually, in, in verse 10, we are carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You see what he's saying? The he says, the suffering you experience is actually part and parcel with your walking as a follower of Jesus. 
The Bible says in in its sort of abstract sense, when you believe in Jesus, you're connected to him in your faith. And the suffering you have is suffering with Jesus. The the joy and life that God brings into your life, it's like the life, the resurrection life of Jesus. They're both working in your life. that's, That's the experience. So this is both wonderful and frightening at the same time. This is good and bad news. Uh, the good news is, uh, what the Bible tells us, not just here but everywhere, is that God has given His Spirit to His church. God's Spirit is working through you. The knowledge of God that's made known in Jesus is alive in your hearts. That's what, that's what Paul says here in, in verse 6. Remarkable words. The same God who let, said, let light shine in the darkness... Paul's referencing the beginning of the Bible. God speaking creation into being. The creator of the universe has shown in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He says, through Jesus, the knowledge of God the creator is given to you. Paul calls that a treasure. He says, that is a treasure. You know what God is like because you have seen the character and reality of God through Jesus. It's a really, really powerful thing. And sometimes the language is so familiar, we kind of skip over it. But Paul is saying that the God who created the world is making himself known through Jesus in your hearts. Paul calls that a treasure. He says, we have a treasure. And you see the other part, though. Verse 7 But, he says, we have this treasure in a jar of clay. It's kind of a humble thing to say. Um, Very, actually. If you had a treasure, you would probably put it in a really nice treasure chest, is what would be sort of the natural human impulse. But Paul says this, God puts his treasure in you. And he's not like, rah, rah, you're great. (laughs) Um, He's like, no, here's the point. Uh, you're a mess. You are a jar of clay. In fact, you are specifically designed to highlight the glory of the treasure because you're, you're a container that's so ordinary. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? In order to show that the surpassing power is from God, not from us, he put it in a really ordinary person. So, Congratulations. Uh, you, you win the prize. You have, you have been deemed by God broken enough, ordinary enough, flawed enough to be a vessel for his glory. Now, again, the secret behind this is all of us as humans are qualified. We're all broken enough to qualify for it. God's made you aware of that, hasn't he? In some sense, in calling, him, calling you to himself, he's revealed Painfully, the limitations of your body, your mind, your soul, you've encountered the, the clay-like, ordinary, even fragile or dusty brokenness of who you are as a container. And, and Paul says, God delights to make himself known there. All right, this is, this is good news for preachers, too. Um, you probably don't know this, but usually like 30 seconds before I have to stand up here, I'm thinking, I don't want to stand up there. <laughs> I don't want people to look at me. 
And at my best, I forget myself, but often the reality of my own clay structure is so incredibly and painfully just obvious to me. But God puts his glory in jars of clay. That's, that's my hope, and, I, and that, that should be your hope as well. That he intends to use ordinary, broken, flawed, limited, finite creatures for his glorious purpose. And so we experience not just that, but actually in the ministry experience itself, Paul lists all the difficulties that happen, and he, and he compares them to the glory that's within. There's, there's a, there's a, he says, an affliction, but not a crushing. Perplexed, not driven to despair. Persecuted, not forsaken. Struck down, not destroyed. He says, in all of these things, we're carrying at the same time the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus. They are together. That's the Christian experience, and the, and the more we embrace this call to proclaim Christ, the more these realities are made known together. As we follow Jesus, sometimes things get harder, and yet the glory and power of God is present in powerful ways. During the, during the 1730s, a, a young Anglican preacher named John Wesley uh, came to a, a spiritual reawakening in, in, in which the grace of the gospel and the glory of Jesus settled, that awareness of that settled in his heart in a profound new way. It's part of a, a broad movement involving people of different, what will become different denominations and groups and backgrounds. Uh, Wesley became a powerful preacher of the first great awakening. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what reminded me of it, but I was reading recently through the journals of John Wesley. And the journals of John Wesley written in the first hand are summaries of all the things that happened to him. And it is really just, it's just a description of what Paul describes here in 2 Corinthians uh, 4 verses 8 and following. All kinds of hardship and then all kinds of glory. I wish it showed up this way all the time. It doesn't. But in, in sometimes, so powerfully, the hardship and the glory are together in incredible measure. In his journals, John Wesley will write, you know, preached in the church about the free grace of Jesus. They told me not to come back. <laughs> Next day, preached in another church. Told me I'm not ever going to preach there again. Door shut, door shut, door shut. At one point, he goes... Uh, to the church where his father had been a longtime pastor. And the minister specifically says, John Wesley will not preach in this building. And so that evening, as you know, hundreds or thousand people gather to hear him, he's shut out of the church. So he walks into the graveyard, stands on his father's tomb, and preaches the grace of Jesus. As he began to preach outdoors, a, a process that Wesley initially first said, it felt so scandalous that it seemed like it would be a sin for someone to be saved if it wasn't done in a church. But as the doors closed, he went out. At times, incredible outpourings of grace followed his ministry and also incredible persecution. In sort of matter-of-fact ways, he writes in his journal, uh, <laughs> a, great, a great mob descended intent on disturbing our gathering. People were, he said, just in passing, this is really interesting. People picked up stones from a wall and began to throw them at us. 
In another scene, in another scene uh, a group of people had, had been paid to cause a disturbance. They brought in a wild bull, and they attempted to get the bull to run at the preacher. It, it ended up, they succeeded knocking over the table. They said we went away and, and spoke of Christ in a different setting. Now, ministry can be hard today, but I'm so thankful no one has ever brought a bull to our congregation before. It has not yet happened. Fortunately, the chairs are bolted down. There's nothing really to throw here. And that's in some ways, it's not always, in fact, it's usually not so extreme. But there's always the, the difficulty and the challenge and the glory going together. Paul says we carry about in our bodies the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus. Here's the third and final thing that we see in the passage. He says, in ministry, there's a particular sense where I experience death so someone else experiences life. So on one hand, all of us all the time are experiencing life and death in Jesus, difficulty and resurrection power, they're going together. But there's this powerful dynamic that kind of Paul brings it down to. He says, what's happening in ministry is I experience death and someone else experiences life. Right, that cycle of down and up that's always present in, in the life of someone who follows Jesus actually has a dimension where my down brings your up. My service brings life. That's what Paul said. We are servants for Jesus' sake. We are facing difficulty so that life may come in someone else. He says this specifically right, in verses 11 and 12. We who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Good news, right? Death and life together. But then see this particular twist on it in verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Death at work in us and life in you. And that's the same thing in this summary verse, verse 15, which we already read. It is all for your sake, Paul says. What is the all? The difficulties, the challenges, the sacrifices, the affliction, the perplexing situations, feeling persecuted, struck down, carrying the body of death. Paul says it's all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul says what we're doing in our difficulties is giving life in others that they may thank God and he would be glorified. That's what fueled Paul for his service. The thought that grace would extend to more and more, that thanksgiving would expand and God would be glorified in new ways. I'll bring this back around to the, the beginning. Uh, the reality is all ministry involves sacrifice. Most of the time it's not like anything John Wesley experienced. The Apostle Paul, those great heroes of the faith that had both powerful suffering and really powerful ministry. For us most of the time, I suppose thankfully, it's more mundane. Sometimes the difficulties arise in, in stronger ways, and they're not always immediately, obviously connected to what we're doing, but as a follower of Jesus, we are often experiencing many of these things. The ministry itself, the, the, the goal of proclaiming Christ, of, of 
seeing grace extend to more and more people, it always comes with sacrifice in one way or another. And I think often there's a, there's a pattern where uh, ministries of various kinds start with life and vitality and flourishing. And over time, the focus begins to turn inward and the willingness to sacrifice begins to diminish. And the life gradually fades from within. It's a danger and the tendency of any group of Christians. We can begin to slide and slip away from a vision of ministry towards others to our own needs and we begin to say I'm just not willing to, to sacrifice for that anymore and the ministry begins to die. All ministry involves sacrifice. The flourishing ministry is usually a result of God working through people who have been willing to sacrifice in prayer and time and love and energy now, the question that stands before us as a congregation, or are we, can, do we continue to be willing to live in such a way that we would, we would want to see grace extend to more and more people? It's not about you know, the prestige of a certain number. It's not about trying to you know, have some, hopefully not, <laughs> can, that, can get sneaky in, that can sneak in for sure. But it's, it, for Paul, it says it's about seeing Thanksgiving abound through new people knowing Jesus and the glory of God being revealed in new ways. That can happen. Let me, again, sort of trying to land this thing here and tie up some of the loose ends. We, many of us are here today because someone loved us and prayed for us and proclaimed Christ to us often sacrificially. Can you think about how that happened for you? You think about the people that sacrificed time and energy, maybe putting themselves out there to start a risky conversation, maybe loving you when it was hard to love you, maybe simply inviting you, maybe slowly over a long period of time. Even as a congregation, we are here today because in a very practical way, Almost 20 years ago, a small group of people in Pittsburgh decided to help start a new congregation in Oakland. This happened before I arrived. I can talk about it freely because I didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, I was uh, called to be our first pastor. City Reform was meeting for a year and a half before I arrived. And one of the most striking things that I observed when I arrived is that nearly everyone who was part of the initial church planning team had a strong desire to see others come to church. It was really striking for me to observe. Many people I would talk to would articulate it in saying, we, we, we really are here because we want to see a, a church that students can come to. And there are certainly many other churches in Oakland, but it's a hard place for churches, and it's a hard place for churches to stay. But to a person, when I arrived, folks would articulate this sort of a vision and whether they knew it or not, they were actually simply echoing the concerns that Paul has for the Corinthians, a desire to meet in a way that grace could extend to more and more people. Simply doing church Sunday morning takes a lot of work here. Um, and, and later today in the announcements, I'm going to invite you to continue uh, to go to the back and sign up for a ministry. We need help. But that's not what this sermon is about. 
Everything we do in ministry requires a certain amount of sacrifice as we put someone above ourselves, as we open ourselves up, vulnerable, possibly being hurt. And the question that will come back again and again and again is the question, do you, do you really desire to see grace go to more and more people? Let me, let me close as we think about uh, moving to the Lord's Supper here. One of the central parts of this passage that really, really jumped out to me as I reread it this morning is that the Apostle Paul says, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He says, to be a Christian is, is first of all, to know the, the character of God made known in Jesus. And second of all, to share that with others. This language of uh, the glory of God being made known in the face of Jesus is, really opens up a provocative image. Do you know what it's like to see the face of a person who loves you? I, I, I don't mean romantic love. I, I mean who, who cares about you. We'll boil it down and make, make it simpler. Do you know what it's like to go to a party where you don't, you're not sure you know anyone? And to suddenly have a friend, maybe a friend you don't know that well, look at you from across the room. And their face lights up when they see you. And they pull over a chair. And they invite you in. And you suddenly recognize you've been seen. You've been loved. You've been valued. I'd like to tell you that that's not far from what we have when we think in the Bible about seeing the face of Jesus. Jesus described his own ministry this way. He said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. That means when you see the face of Jesus, you're seeing someone who has been looking for you, seeking you. Seeking you in an incredibly sacrificial way. You know, many of you know the answer at least know enough about Christianity, know there's a cross involved. Jesus seeking, it was very, very costly for him. He went to extraordinary lengths to love you, to move towards you, to call you to himself. The seeking and saving that Jesus brings into the world is the costliest of all seeking and saving. Anything we do in ministry pales into comparison. Anything we do in ministry is really fueled. It's simply fueled by knowing that Jesus gave himself for us. When we know that he has loved us, we can begin to love others. When we see the glory of God made known in the gospel, then we begin to think in our hearts, I long to see that extended to more and more people. Ministry is simply being involved in that process. City Reformed is a church that turns over its members. Some stay for long periods of time, but each summer some people who've been here for a while move on. As we move into a new year, I want to make sure I invite you in. 
we've been here more than a couple weeks. If you know who Jesus is and if you call this your church home, you are now part of the we that is seeking to proclaim Christ. And there are sacrifices involved. Simply the sacrifice of creating enough time and margin and energy that you can see someone and know them and respond to them when they walk into the room is an often overlooked difficulty. There'll be other sacrifices and difficulties along the way. But what we are being invited into is proclaiming Christ of sharing the light that has been shown in our lives, sharing that with others, that grace would extend to more and more, that the, the Savior who was seeking us would be known to a larger degree in the people around us. Ministry means a front row seat to God's light shining in new places. And it's worth the cost. So come on along. We have an exciting semester, exciting years ahead of us. Would you jump in? At times it'll be hard, but the glory of God is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us grace. Grace to know and experience your love in deeper and more profound ways. Ways that make the cost worth it. Ways that make all sacrifice worth it. Ways that make sin seem dim and unappealing. That would help us to know we are loved and to love others. Lord, would you do that now as we come to this meal. The meal that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples Would you make Jesus known? Would you shine in our hearts the knowledge of God and the face of Jesus Christ above and beyond all we can ask or imagine? Would you make him known to us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.